today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's head south of the border. Uh, we all know what's happened uh, in Donald Trump's ongoing um, uh, mission to get his border wall built. Uh, initially during the campaign, of course, he said that uh, Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Um, doesn't look like that's going to happen. Now, of course, he can't get the support uh, to pay for it. So he uh, called a national emergency in order to uh, get the funds needed to complete the project. Well, the U.S. Senate voted Thursday to terminate President Donald Trump's declaration of an emergency at the southern border. And now, of course, sends the legislation back to Trump. He has vowed he will veto uh, that uh, he, he says, quote, I'll do a veto. It's not going to be overturned. It's a border security vote. To talk more about all of this, Michael Trocott is with us, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies and Political Science, University of Michigan, and is with us now. Michael, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be with you, Scott. So what does it say when um, even members of his own party don't vote in the direction he would like them to go? Uh, what is that saying about all of this? Well, one thing that's a little different about this is that there are important constitutional questions that arise, and some Republicans are refusing to uh, support his uh, action because they believe it is uh, unconstitutional. So what specifically are they saying about what Trump has done? What's Trump's response been to them? Well, there are two parts. Uh, first of all, the constitutional matter is that in Article 1, Section 9, uh, Clause 7, it says only uh, Congress can uh, appropriate money, and appropriation bills have to start in the House. The, the uh, Congress considered funding for the wall and excluded it explicitly from uh, uh, their appropriation bill. So the president wants to declare a national emergency, something that it's possible for him to do under another piece of legislation. And uh, he wants to reallocate money uh, uh, in, in, lieu, in light of that national emergency. So there, there, there are two concerns. One of them is about the constitutionality of his actions, and the other is about whether or not it sets a precedent for a possible uh, future Democratic president to do something similar, say, in an area like gun control. So these two things combine uh, to bring us to where we are. The president's response is clearly going to be to issue a veto, and uh, the votes in the House and in the Senate uh, were not large enough to uh, produce the uh, two-thirds of each chamber to override the veto, so the president will try to move ahead. But the political and legal significance of the votes in Congress uh, are that the president's action will be uh, challenged immediately in the third branch of government, the, the, the court system, and the votes by the Senate and the House will be used as evidence for those who oppose the president's action in the courts by saying not only uh, is he doing something unconstitutional, but two times the House and Senate voted to say they didn't want this done. Is that why Republicans would have voted against this? Why vote against this uh, if you know, he's got the power to veto it anyway? I mean, doesn't that just put a, you know, a big target on your chest? 
Well, it does conceivably put a big target on some of the members' chests. And, and as you probably know, your listeners know, there was one senator who said that he would vote uh, in, in, uh, against the emergency, national emergency, and then changed his mind at the last minute. Hmm. But uh, the, the, the members are under cross pressures uh, te- tempered by their partisanship, um, and they want to defend the Constitution and the independence of the Congress, uh, but they're also sensitive to crossing the president, who who hasn't issued any vetoes in his first two years in office. Uh, the, the, in his, uh, before the midterms, uh, the uh, president controlled the House and the Senate, lost uh, the House in, in the midterms, uh, and, and now appears as having issues controlling the Senate. Where does that put the president? Well, it increases his vulnerability to a certain extent, Uh one of the psychological processes I think that's involved here is uh, Republican members screwing up their coverage to appro- oppose the president. And it's been difficult to find an issue on which they would do that in the past. This issue, because of the constitutionality, has provided an opening. And now we'll see if, moving forward, there are more people who see this as uh, a viable alternative to things that the president proposes. So will we see more divisiveness in the Republican Party as a result of this? I think that it's possible. You know, there was also a vote taken in the Senate uh, this week uh, about um, withdrawing support for um, American uh, military support for Saudi Arabia and Yemen, contrary to the president's policies. Um, there, there aren't many instances in which this is likely to occur, but they, the Democrats will now try to uh, propose and promote legislative action to embarrass the president in this regard, and in a way that Republicans will force, uh, be forced to face difficult choices. So what happens moving forward now? Uh, obviously, he's lost the vote in the Senate. He says he's going to veto this. As you mentioned, this will be the first one. Uh, and obviously, the, this only happens with important issues. Uh, he's declared this a national emergency. How is this going to fly? What happens next? Well, uh, you know, there are lawyers uh, representing various groups, including the Democrats, uh, in the House, um, but also, uh, you know, various uh, immigration groups and also landowners uh, along the border who will now go to court immediately to stop the president from moving forward uh, with the uh, re- reassignment of uh, budgetary line items in the, in the Defense Department and other places. So the first test will be whether or not somebody can, uh, or how quickly somebody can get an injunction in a lower court uh, against the president taking any action. And then the next step will be to see how quickly the president and his lawyers can move this to the Supreme Court. The, the likelihood of a win for the president in the Supreme Court, I think, is uh, low because there are 
precedents, especially in the Youngstown Steel case, uh, where um, the Supreme Court has said that uh, the president can't act uh, in a unilateral fashion. Um, and there is a suggestion that John Roberts, the chief justice, is very uh, sensitive to the public's view of the court and also the uh, importance of precedent. So he is potentially, again, a deciding vote in a 5-4 to four decision against the president. So in your opinion, will this ever get built? Will it ever be started in whatever form it takes? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's unlikely in the degree to which the president would like to describe or, or, or to depict the possibilities here. You know, you, you want to remember the story here, which is it starts during the campaign when the president says we need a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that has now gone completely by the boards. And uh, he's still arguing for the wall, uh, and he wants uh, a, essentially a continuous wall from the Pacific Ocean to the uh, Caribbean. Um, and that's not going to happen either. So uh, there, there could eventually be some construction. The Democrats are, are in favor of border security, but right. to, to them that means uh, so you're technological see, changes. You're going to see border upgrades and security issues be enhanced, but you know, um, various whether it's a wall or not. Uh, you know, it, I guess it depends on geographics. Uh, but any progress or anything that is that is being done to enhance border security, I'm sure Donald Trump will position that as a win. Let me ask you this. Um, Michael, does it matter if this wall ever gets built as long as it appears like the president is constantly trying, but it's other people that are stopping him? Isn't it better to uh, be pushing for something he knows he's never going to get and, 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 and play that narrative as opposed to actually forcing all of this through? Well, l- let me begin by saying it's, it's important to, to, to note that the conversation about the wall is really a rhetorical form of raising the issue of uh, an invasion by immigrants uh, and the president's desire to stop that. So this is coded language, first of all. Um, And as long as he can uh, maintain that he is anti-immigration, for his base, you know, that'll work to his advantage. So the points that you make about his ability to continue to talk about this um, will work in terms of solidifying his base. It's not clear that it helps him to enlarge his base of support. Again, um, I don't think either way he cares if it's built because he's getting the mileage out of it that he needs. Yes, that's correct. I agree. What about what happened in New Zealand today? Does this affect this discussion in any way, considering this appears to be a homegrown terrorist at this point, uh, you know, alt-right extremist? Well, there was some, as I, as I read the news, there was some uh, reference, I think perhaps on the Facebook pages, uh, to the rhetoric of Donald Trump 
there, there's a very interesting question in a, in a world that is shrunken by this uh, interconnectedness on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, the extent to which we can think of this as a localized problem as opposed to an international set of issues. And our experience in the United States, of course, is that the president's language, including some phrases he used yesterday about uh, the willingness of some of his groups of supporters to take action against other Americans, is very troubling. How will America react if he actually does veto this. What happens then? Well, I mean, uh, at one level, things will be quiet because then it'll go to the courts immediately and, you know, the courts don't move Take very for, quickly. Yeah, right. um, but he's going to uh, harp on this uh, for, uh, continuously. He's going to talk about the Democrats being soft. He's going to talk about uh, how dangerous things are. Uh, for, you know, law-abiding citizens along the border. Um, So that part of the conversation is not going to go away. Uh, What about uh, as the Mueller investigation winds up, uh, Manafort obviously uh, sentenced this week uh, as well. Um, Is is the wall still just a distraction for him? Uh, The wall for the president, Mm -hmm. a distraction? Well, I think it's a kind of a defense mechanism for him, don't you think? Uh, he he's trying to reorient the conversation away from uh, the Mueller investigation and eventually from the Mueller report. Um, it's a great mystery here about when the report is coming, uh, because there are personnel moves. You know, it's like reading tea leaves. Yeah, there are personnel moves that suggest he's winding down, but. If you look at the calendar they set yesterday for uh, the judicial activity related to Roger Stone, it goes into November. So I don't understand. I don't think we understand which individuals are going to be involved in which subsequent phases of this as it goes on. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said earlier on in the week, uh, not interested in impeachment right now, divides the country. If something else comes up through the report, uh, you know, then the, they'll they'll reexamine all of this. Uh, some have suggested that the reason that Pelosi's backing off a bit is that there isn't that much in the Mueller report. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think it's more of a strategic statement than that. I don't think she has any special knowledge about the report, nor does anybody else. But it would be a mistake for the Democrats to start talking about impeachment without very much in the way of evidence, so that as a counter-argument, the president and his supporters can talk about how he's under attack. So I, I think what she's doing really is, is saying, we're not going to talk about this. Uh, until there, there's a more uh, substantive basis for doing so. It's not going to be the focus of our legislative efforts. Considering, considering what has happened in New Zealand, will there be talk of gun control in America? Uh, you know, there hasn't, we haven't been very successful in the Congress uh, in, in doing anything about gun control, and I don't expect that New Zealand... Uh, the incident in New Zealand is is going to affect that. Uh, do you, Do you think Donald Trump will have anything to say in regard to this being domestic terrorism? Uh, he's made a statement of 
you know, uh, associated sympathy, but uh, I don't think we know enough, and he hasn't said enough. Actually, I think it was Sarah Sanders who released the statement. I, I don't think uh, we know enough to make a judgment about whether it was domestic terror, uh, terrorism or, or not. One thing, uh, apparently, that the, the, the perpetrator uh, raised was um, a call for this kind of action by uh, a, a French uh, political individual. Yeah. And that, again, is an indication of how the world has shrunk and about our interconnectedness uh, in terms of instigators for these kinds of events. Uh, one last question in regard to Donald Trump's demeanor, how things have changed since the midterms now with this latest vote and such. And, and you know, we're certainly hearing as well uh, rumblings out of uh, South Korea and, and the peninsula uh, that North Korea is changing its attitude towards uh, denuclearization and this sort of thing. Uh, how is Donald Trump doing in the second term, in the second half of his mandate compared to the first? Is he delivering? Well, he, he, he hasn't gotten off to a very good start. Uh, you know, he, he's placed a great deal of emphasis on personalized diplomacy, which is, a, which is a very risky strategy. There were plenty of people who commented on the results of the first meeting between Kim and Trump, and the unlikely prospect, based upon uh, historical behavior, of denuclearization of uh, North Korea, and that, that increasingly looks like what's uh, not going to happen. Where does that leave his relationship with Kim Jong Un? Uh, well, it's it's deteriorating rapidly, and if uh, they move towards uh, another missile test, which it looks like they might be, or reopening their facility for, for dealing with uh, uranium, uh, I think probably, you know, we're going to go back to the former sort of business-as-usual state. Will it be back to fire and fury and button sizes and such? Well, I don't know about that. I, I, I think one mystery in this is uh, the, the concessions such as they were that were made about the U.S. relationship with South Korea and, and whether that can be uh, re reinvigorated or not or, or, or reengaged or not. The South Koreans could turn out to be the losers in this. Michael Trogut has been with us, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies and Political Science, University of Michigan. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.